the church where we worship, but it's not our church. It's God's church. This church is owned by God. And it's owned by God because his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave his blood for this church. He ransomed us. He made us right with God by pouring out his lifeblood on the cross, by becoming that sacrifice. And so the church is Christ's church. It's God's church. And because it's Christ's church and because it's God's church, it's not for us to say how we can do things and how we shouldn't do things. It's for God to tell us. It's for God to lead us. And it's for God to guide us. And God tells us and God leads us and God shows us how to be a church through his word. And so we're in God's word and we're looking at the the letter of Timothy, 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy, if you like, is a guide or a manual to church life. Paul, the, the, the older apostle, the more mature apostle, if you like, in that sense, was writing to Timothy, who was a pastor in the local church in Ephesus. And and Paul was telling Timothy, exhorting Timothy, pointing out to Timothy how to do things in church life. And then Timothy, as the pastor of that church, would have read Paul's letter, would have preached Paul's letter, and the church would have practiced Paul's letter. Last week, well not last week, but the week before when I was preaching, uh, I asked the question, what does a bishop look like? What does a bishop look like? And and we saw from the New Testament, we saw from God's word, that the word bishop also means elder or pastor. And God gives the church pastors. God gives the church teachers. We see that in uh, Ephesians and and, and chapter 3. And they're there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. And and, and just like the church in Ephesus, we need elders and pastors as a church. And as the church there were told that they needed elders and pastors, the question could be, well, what what should an an elder or a pastor be like? And, And so in the book of, in the letter to Timothy from Paul, we have this list, this qualifications of the elder the qualifications of uh, the pastor. And as I've said uh, before, it's not a secret here. As a church, we're looking to the Lord to help us to appoint more elders. We want to appoint deacons within church life. We want us all to understand what that means and how that is. And so this is a really important part of God's word to us as a church so that we can understand what God wants of us as a church. But also we can see here, uh, we're told here by Paul to Timothy, that it's a trustworthy saying that if anyone wants to be or aspires to be an overseer, he's wanting and desiring a noble task. And there's a sense by which all of us should be wanting to have the characteristics that an elder has. Not all of us will be called to be an elder or a pastor. And and we know from God's word and we know from how we've seen the passage open up, the role of an elder and a pastor is not open to ladies. So you're, you're, you're free. 
you've not got to worry about that responsibility. But there's a sense, ladies, by which you should want to have the characteristics that an elder has. Just in the same way for all of us here, that the characteristics and the standards that are set out here for elders and for deacons, we should be saying we want them. And why should we want them? Because in, in the language of the New Testament, in the language of the Bible, in Jesus' words himself, he describes himself as an elder. He describes himself as a deacon. And we're all called to be Christ-like. And so the characteristics of an elder or a deacon uh, are seen perfectly in Christ. And we're told to be Christ-like. And so we can see this passage here being a blessing to us in two ways. In one way, to teach us what to be looking for as a church as we look to appoint elders and deacons. And in the other hand, for us to be thinking, this is what we should be like. This is what we should be aspiring to be like, whether we become an elder or a deacon, whether we have a particular role within church life. It doesn't matter. We want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the function of the elder, the the job of the elder, if you like, was set out in Acts chapter 20. And in verse 28, we, we, we read this, uh, the previous week, and I just want to draw our attentions to it quickly, the, the elders were to pay careful attention to yourselves, or pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The function, the job of the elder is firstly to look after themselves. Now you're going to say, well, how does that work on the finger? <laughs> we said you've got to put God first. We said we've got to look out for others uh, and then yourselves. Well, when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to our walk with God, the thing gets reversed around. Yes, we have to put God first. And in putting God first, we have to put our relationship with God first. A- an elder is going to be somebody who is taking their own devotions, their own quiet time seriously. An elder is going to be someone who is going to be praying for themselves and their families. An elder is going to be someone who is more concerned first and foremostly about themselves before they look out for others. And the illustration we use is we're on the flight. We we, we boarded the aeroplane, we're sat there, and the air stewardess, the air hostess, whoever, tells us about the, the, the little oxygen mask that drops down. We all know about it. We all panic to think that one day we might see one drop out. But it drops out. And what are you to do with it? You're to put yours on first before you help somebody else. And it's particularly told to parents, put yours on before you help your children. And, and why is that? Well, if you're dead, you can't help your child, can you? It's as simple as that. And that's why you have to look after yourself first. And if you are spiritually dead because you're not looking after yourself, how can you look after the church? That's the, that's the picture language that's going on there. So they look after themselves first, and then they're to look after and care for the flock. And the flock is the, the picture language of, of, a, of, a, of the sheep, and the picture language is the shepherd looking out for the sheep. 
And so the elders to oversee, to care for the flock, to feed it spiritually, to look out for it, to discipline it, to bring them back when they are wandering away. It's a huge task. And so that's why you need to pray for your elders. And that's why it's really important that with God's help, we choose the right people to do that. So just to recap what we saw that time, an overseer must be, and it's, it's a must be, it's not, it's good if they are, might like to be. Uh, maybe you have seen a job advertised and the job says must have, and then it says possibly a degree, must have two years experience in the field. And then you might read here in Cyprus, it's preferable to have Turkish and English. Yeah? Well, there's no preferable here. All these qualifications are a must. You must be above reproach. No one can point a finger at them and accuse them. They must be the husband of one wife. And as we opened that up last time, we, we realized this is more to do with being sexually pure. It's not saying that bachelors, single men can't be uh, deacons. It's not saying that people who have being divorced in a biblical way, can't be deacons. It's not saying that widows can't be deacons. This is saying that people have to be sexually pure. That's what it's going on about. Above reproach, sexual purity, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. Someone doesn't get all excited, all flies off the handle. Someone who's self-controlled, hospitable, looking out for others, caring for others' needs. And in this whole list of the, the, the elders' characteristics, there's only one gift that's mentioned there. It's interesting, isn't it? Only one skill-based qualification for an elder, and that's the ability to teach. One of the functions of an elder is to teach and to preach. And so they need to have that gift, that ability. But all the rest of them are qualities. Not a drunkard. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. This is what is set out in God's word that an elder should be. You see, the world looks for great gifts the world looks for great talents. The world wants people like that. And what the church needs in these roles of responsibility is people of great character. Who are above reproach. Who are sexually pure. Who are sober-minded, controlled, respectable. Who are hospitable. Who are not drunkards. Who are not violent. Who are not quarrelsome. Not lovers of money. You might say, well, what does it mean to be self-controlled? Not a drunkard. Not violent. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. That last part of the list sort of just opens up examples uh, and illustrations to it. You see, it's, it's, the, the role isn't for what somebody can do but the role is more about what someone's heart is making them do it's not about the, the gift the charismatic character who walks in the room and everyone looks at them no it's about the person who's walking close to God 
And these things can be seen, and these things work out in the home life of the elder. They work out in the spiritual life of the elder, and they work out in the social life of the elder. And so when we are considering elders, we should be thinking of them and and asking the question, what are they like in their home life? Uh, Verse uh, 4 says he must, of chapter 3 of this letter, 1 Timothy, it says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's own church or for God's church? I remember way, way back when I was involved in agriculture, uh, one of the old boys that I worked with uh, was just telling me that uh, farming is, is not like it used to be. And, and that's what happens. When you get old, you look back and you just say things are not like what they used to be. And he was telling me of the, the process that he had to go through for one of the jobs that he had. He wanted to work on a particular farm. This farm had got a really good reputation a reputation of, of looking after their employees well, a reputation of, of having uh, just a good place to work and good, good, good farming skills. And he wanted a job there. And so he, he applied for a job and he was offered an interview. And he was excited by the fact that he was offered this interview. And the farmer, the gentleman farmer said, I'm going to come to your house at this date, at this time, and I'm going to interview you at your house. And he thought to himself, that's, that's a bit strange. Normally, the, the person that's been interviewed goes to the, the, the place of work of the, uh, of, of the business, and in that case, the farm. And he's thinking, well, I, anyway, this is what happened. And, and, and the man came round, and he didn't go into the house. He just looked around the garden. He said, show me your garden. And so he okay, showed him around the garden. And what this farmer was looking for was this. If someone couldn't look after their own garden, how could they look after a farm? If the garden was, was clean and tidy and orderly, if, if the garden had nicely uh, set out vegetables, this was sort of 50, 60 years ago, nicely set out vegetables and things, this person would be someone who would work well on the farm. And so the farmer was thinking, what I need is someone who can manage his garden well, and he's going to be good on the farm. And there's a logic there. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think some of the workers then might say, well, I'm working so hard on the farm, when I get back home, I can't be bothered. Uh, that's another argument, but who knows? That, that farmer looked at it that way. And, and what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, and what he's saying to the church now, if you've got someone who's going to be an elder, how do you, how do you work out if he's got these things? How do you work out if he is above reproach? How do you work out if he is sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable? How do you, you look at his family life? You look at his household. You see, church is what? Church is family, isn't it? And if this gentleman can't look after his own family, how can he look after the church family? 
So this is a guide for us. This is a guide to see this. Now, does this mean that all elders must be married? No, it doesn't. But it, it does mean that if there's someone who is single, that, that they should be someone who is, who is able to conduct themselves with all dignity. Someone that people will show respect to. Now, we have to be careful when we apply and think about keeping his children submissive. This doesn't mean that he's got a great long stick and as soon as one of the children step out of line, they get a flogging. That's not what has been said there. What's been said here is, is the children will have a respect for their father. It's not saying that all the children have to be believers. That, that's not going to be the case. A father can't make his children believers. Only God can work in someone's heart and change them. But the children should be respectful. The the children should know that dad is the one that is in authority in that house. Because if he's not in authority in the house, how can he be in authority in the church? If, if the house has got all manner of financial problems, if, the, if they're forever in debt, if they're forever with great loans, if, if things are just not working right there, then this is, this is a warning light. If this person can't manage their home, how can he care for God's church? Now, it doesn't mean he has to be wealthy. Not at all. It just means he needs to know how to manage his house. And, and, and the, the answer is there, because if someone does not know how to manage his own house, how will he care for God's church? And then Paul moves from the, the, the home situation to spiritual life. And he said he must not be a recent convert in verse 6. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must not be a recent convert. He must not have recently come to faith. Now what's going on here? And again I want to use uh, an illustration that I heard some time back. It was an illustration in regard to the uh, North American Indians. The North American Indians are famous for their bows and arrows. And if you didn't know that, you know that now. They're famous for their, their bows and arrows. And, and, and they, 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 they made their bows and arrows, and they were very careful how to make the arrow. You see, if you've got an arrow that's a little bit bendy, there's a wiggle in it, when you fire it, it doesn't go straight. And, and when you're firing an arrow, you need it to go straight. There's no good at aiming at the buffalo that's charging towards you and then the arrow goes off to the left. That's a big problem. Uh, And what's the worst problem? I assume that if you were there and the cowboy was coming towards you with his guns, you needed your arrow to go straight because the cowboy's bullet would go straight. So they, they, they put a lot of care and attention into making arrows straight. They would get the piece of stick that looked about right. They would take the uh, bark off it and then they would soak it and they would put weights on it. And over a long period of time, 
They would make sure the arrow was straight. And if you rushed the process and put the head on the arrow and used it too soon, it would go off in the wrong direction. And that's what can happen when someone is made an elder too soon. They haven't gone through life. They haven't been straightened in their theology. They haven't been straightened by God's word. There's, there's things about them which are, are not at the level of maturity that needs to be. And so they go off at the wrong angle. And they cause problems. They, they, they cause serious problems. And the problem that's highlighted here by Paul, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because Paul wrote to Timothy, and Paul was telling Timothy that the church needed to be protected against false teaching. And you thought that the real big reason that a, a, a new convert shouldn't be brought into the role of an elder was because they haven't got enough spiritual knowledge. Well, that's not the big danger that Paul's pointing out. He said the big danger is pride. The big danger is that someone is put into that position at an early stage in their Christian walk that they think, look, I've done it. I've made it. Look at me. And they become proud and they become puffed up with conceit. And as a result, they fall into the condemnation of the devil. Pride is an ugly thing. And pride causes the church great problems. And if the leaders are proud, there are serious issues. And I think sadly, around the world and around churches, you can see examples of where people who are very gifted and very able put into positions of responsibility too soon. And they become puffed up. And they lose the servant-like attitude that Christ has shown them. And as a result, pride has got in, the devil gets in, and it spoils churches and causes great problems. Now maybe you're asking, well, what does the timescale look at? How long is it between becoming a Christian and being baptized and being baptized and becoming an elder? What's the, what's the timescale? Is this talking about months? Is this talking about years? Is this talking about decades? No, the scripture does not put a time on it. Why is that? Because spiritual maturity doesn't correlate to age. And and some people grow spiritually very quickly. And they mature quickly. And other people just seem to take forever and ever and ever. And so as a church, we need discernment. We, We need God to show us and guide us and show us, is this person, is this the right time for this person? And there could be some super gifted people that we think they would be brilliant. They could make great teachers and preachers. But then when we look at it and realize, no, they're not ready yet. If we fire them, it's going to go in the wrong direction. We need them just to wait a bit longer. And there are other people who just seem to take off because of their own attitude and because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And they could be used early. We need God to guide us. But what we do know is that the spiritual life of the elder is important. Are they looking out for themselves? 
If someone is not taking time to, to read God's word and to pray regularly, then they, they, they're not ready. Even though they may be very eloquent and have some really good things to say and be able to communicate. If they've not got a close walk with God spiritually, they're not to be an elder. And, and part of the role of the church and the, the role of the elders and the leaders is to encourage people into these ways. To encourage them so that they may come and may be of great use to the church in the future and in the near future. And then we also look at the social life of the elder. What is the man like in everyday affairs outside of church matters? Uh, chapter 3 verse 7 says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Some people come here on a Sunday, some people come into a church on a Sunday and they look the part. They, they, they just look good. They look like Christians. And, and they speak like Christians. And they pray like angels. And then they go out in the week and they live like devils. And it doesn't bring God's name any glory. And so what we're needing in an elder is a consistency. A consistency not just of what they're like in the church when they're on show, if you like, but what they're like outside, because what they're like outside is of more importance than what they are in here in some ways. It's not just what they're like the church think, but it's about what they're thought of outside. Uh, Back in our church in the UK, uh, about 10 or so years ago, uh, we had a deacon and he effectively, the way the church was ran then was, was <laughs> well, they had a pastor and they had deacons. They didn't have any other elders. But a lot of these deacons were like elders. And Uncle Ron, as, as we knew him, was like an elder. He did a work of an elder. And funnily enough, his family name was Bishop. So he had the right name for the job as well, didn't he? But most of the church knew him as Uncle Ron. Uncle Ron had lived in the locality where he was for all of his life, and he, and he built up a very successful cleaning business. And he was extremely well regarded by everybody in the neighborhood. The, the local businessmen knew Uncle Ron, and, and they used his services because he was fair, he was honest, he was hardworking, and he had integrity, and he treated everyone with respect. They also knew that Uncle Ron would invite you to a church service. Uncle Ron would always witness to you, but they knew that he was always fair and righteous. Now, a little while later, we we came to a situation within our church life where we were running a big event and we needed a lot of sort of traffic calming facilities. We needed road cones. We needed signs. And, and there was a business in the town that had all this uh, equipment that we needed. And so we went to, to do a deal with them. We went to ask them if we could use it. And we were welcomed into the owner's office, almost like long-lost friends. And he said, that's Uncle Ron's church. We didn't call Uncle Ron Uncle Ron. He called him Ron the Baptist, a play on John the Baptist, I think. And, and, and this guy let us have anything that we needed for the week, and there was no cost. And that was because Uncle Ron was well thought of by the outsiders. He had integrity. 
He had the values of the personality of an elder and people outside that saw it. Uncle Ron wasn't just one thing in the church and another thing outside the church. His church life and his social life matched each other. And this is important. So when we think of an elder, we need to think of not just what the church thinks, but what do their neighbors think about them? Are they good neighbors? Do they care for the people around about them? What would the boss or the colleagues think about them? Are they pleased with them? Are they someone who keeps their word? Are they someone who has respect in the neighborhood? See, this is what the church needs because the alternative is the devil gets in and causes problems. The whole verse reads like this, doesn't it? Moreover, verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The devil loves to cause havoc. And and havoc is caused when the church's leaders, witnesses are brought into disrespect. And how much of social media goes alight around Africa when a leader of a church brings the church into disrespect? Everyone's talking about it, aren't they? And similarly in the UK and in Europe and around the world, the, the, the church isn't in the media, but as soon as there's some open problem like that and they fall into disgrace, it's not just the church that's disgraced, but the owner of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, is brought into disrepute. And so we need to choose elders carefully. In fact, the only way that we can choose elders is through the help of the Holy Spirit. And in that passage in Acts 20 and 28, it says in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so as we as a church look to for further elders and deacons within our setting, we need to be pleading with God that the Holy Spirit would lead us to these right men. And we should all be praying that as we partake in church life, we should be aiming for those standards. This is what we should be like. And as I said last time, and I'll probably say again, we have to hold up our elders, our pastors in prayer. Because the devil is after them. The devil is after them because he wants to cause problems. There's nothing he loves better than a church that's in disunity. Nothing that he loves better than a church that's in disarray. Nothing he loves better than believers and particularly church leaders sinning openly, whether that be pride, whether that be in any other way. And so we should be praying for our elders that they would be kept firm and praying that we would choose the right ones. Now, the passage sort of moves slightly here. Because it's talking predominantly of elders. And then in verse 8, it says deacons likewise. Now, there's a connection here. There's a connection because it says deacons likewise. Uh, and, and the connection between the deacon is a connection of role and not rank. We've thought about this before. It's not about a rank. It's not a, a rank within the church life. It's, it's a role. Now, the role does come with authority and the role does come with responsibility. But it's not a rank. 
And the elder's role is to serve the church in a spiritual, pastoral capacity. And there's an emphasis of, of ruling and teaching. And the deacon's role is to serve the church in a, in a practical capacity to ensure that the spiritual aspect is done. We're going to see this because before we look at the qualifications of 1 Timothy, probably next week now, I, I just want us to know how the role was formed. Now, there was a, a church that was planning a, a training session for new deacons in, in the States, I heard of. And, and the, one of the senior deacons then phoned up the local restaurant, local restaurant school that educated people in, in, in restaurants, and said, what qualities are you looking for in a waiter? What qualities are you looking for in a waiter? You think, what's going on here? Why was someone planning a training session for deacons asking a restaurant school what qualities they need for a waiter? Anyway, the answer came back and said, above all else, a good waiter who is who notices what people need and gives it to them even before they ask. That's a good answer. That would be a good waiter. But why did that person ask that question? We see the first deacons that were appointed in Jerusalem were appointed to wait tables. They were appointed to be those who served meals. In Acts chapter 6, we, we read this before, that there was, there was a problem in the early church. There was a complaint. It happens. The church had barely been started and there was a complaint. There was a problem. There was a difficulty. And guess what, friends? It was a difficulty on Race and culture. And there was a set of people that weren't being taken care of. And it was, it was a race that the Greeks weren't being taken care of like the Jews. And there was a complaint. And it seems as though the disciples were, were being called in. And the disciples have been told about this complaint. And the, the, the Jewish lady saying, we're not getting our fair share. The widows and the Jewish widows were getting lots. And so the, the, the disciples, the elders then, called what may have been the first recorded church business meeting. And, and they got together. And, and what the disciples said, they said that, look, elders have got a clear mandate of what God is calling them to do. Acts chapter 6, verse 2, reads like this. This is what the elders, this is what the disciples said. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the elders here are saying, we've got a job to do. And our job is to preach the word. And we shouldn't give up preaching the word to serve tables. Now that doesn't mean that serving tables is beneath anyone. But what it's saying is that this practical need was going to get in the way of the spiritual responsibility of the disciples. The elders in Acts 6 were told they were to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what they were to do. The elders were not to give up preaching and they were to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so people were needed to serve tables. Now, it doesn't make the serving of the tables less important or more important. They're both needed. 
They're needed with the church life. You see, if those ladies continued to argue with each other, the church would have fell to pieces. No matter how good a preaching Paul and the apostles and the others could have brought to the situation. Well, Paul wasn't there at that time. It was before he was converted. But Peter and John, no matter how great their leadership was, if the ladies were fighting, it was going to cause a problem. And the answer to the ladies fighting was to having that looked out for, that practical thing looked out for. So the solution was put forward. Pick out from yourself seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint for that duty. And so the church was involved in choosing and praying and picking out these men. There were men, good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they were appointed to serve in this duty. The church chose them. The elders prayed for them. And this is what the result was. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. Why was it increasing? The problem had been addressed. The preaching continued. The tables were served. And, and so we have to think to ourselves, we may not have tables to serve now, but there's a principle here. The church today needs deacons to make sure that the elders are freed up to look after the spiritual needs. And and as I've been going through this, this is something that I've been challenged by myself personally more and more. I need to be devoting myself more and more to prayer and to the ministry of the word, to pastoring. And yet it's so much more easy for me to get caught up in other things. And what we should be doing is getting those other things and people within the church doing those so that we, like that church there, may know the word of God continuing to increase. And so this is the thought. The deacons support the elders. The deacons serve the church. And in many ways, Jesus is our ultimate example of a deacon. Uh, Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 20. We read this passage earlier too. As, as I was speaking to the children, there was the mother who came with her two boys and said, look, I want these to be your, your main men. And, and Jesus said, look, it's not, this is not what it's about. And, and he said, look, the, the, the Gentile lords do this and they exercise authority, but that's not what it should be amongst yourselves. Uh, verse 26 reads, and it shall not be am- among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That word there is the same word as deacon. It must be your deacon. It must be your servant. Deacon means servant. Whoever must be first among you must be your slave or your deacon. As, as, as the original says, even then the Son of Man cannot be served, or cannot be deaconed, if you like, but he came to serve, to be a deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to be like a deacon. We're all called to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do in this role? What did he do as his ultimate act of service? His ultimate act of service was giving up his life 
for the church. The reason we are here today is because Christ had a servant-like attitude. And his servant-like attitude said, I am going to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm going to give my life so that the sins of my people can be forgiven. The only reason that we are here now as a church is because Christ became a servant. It is through that act of service that we are saved. And if Jesus saw his life as an act of service, how much more should we see our lives as an act of service? You see, we get it so wrong, don't we? The the, the world has been telling us that we need to be at the top. That the world has been telling us that we have to come first and to be first. And please, I'm not telling you not to have aspirations to work hard, to study hard, to get first class degrees, to be in the top of your class, to do your best. That's not what we're saying here. But what we are saying, and what God's word is saying within the church life, the highest calling that we have is to be a servant. The elder is a servant. The pastor is a servant. The deacon is a servant. And everyone here is a servant. We are all servants because Christ, our Savior, came as a servant. And he gave his life for us. And because he gave his life for us, he didn't give our lives for us so that we could become some great thing within the church. He gave his life for us so that we could be servants, so that we could serve one another, so that we could serve the lost world out there, so that we could serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The the problem that there are not too many real elders and deacons this day is because we don't really see the role of servanthood. And the problem that there are so many weak churches around the world today is because we don't all see ourselves as the servants we're called to be. I heard of a church, and within this church there was a very gifted, promising young man. And after a bit of time, he was talking about leaving the church and going to move to a different church. And and the deacons had heard about this. The deacons at their meeting were discussing the matter. And and the chair of the deacons, a a highly successful businessman, came up with this idea. He said, look, let's make him a deacon. And let's see if after that he wants to leave. Now that might work in a business setting. To keep someone in a company, you might give them a promotion. You might give them a pay rise. You might give them more responsibility. But that is not how it is to happen in the church. We're servants. And it upsets me and it grieves me when I see these non-servant, celebrity-like so-called church leaders who have an entourage of protocol serving them when they should be serving the church. Because the master, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
led the way and he came as a servant. And so we have to remember that those that are appointed to church leadership are appointed in the light that Jesus gave himself and he came to serve and not be served. And we, brothers and sisters, are to follow the servant king. No matter what our role within church life is, whether we're a Sunday school teacher, a choir member, an elder, a deacon, uh, an usher, or just a so-and-so, we are all servants. We can be servants because Christ gave himself as a ransom for us. Amen.